The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Home for the Holidays Part 2. Now, on with the show. After learning that my fiancé wasn't avoiding my calls because he was locked up, but actually because he was fucking my work nemesis in the apartment we share, I did what I've done my entire life. I bottled it up. Compartmentalized it. And then I picked up the phone and called Jenny, the daughter of one of my mom's friends who was there my first day back in town. And I told her that, on second thought, I would love to go dress shopping for the soiree. When I showed up at the dress shop, I found out I was actually tagging along with the whole group. All of them I'd vaguely remembered from school, and I felt completely out of place. But there was champagne and wine, and after a couple of glasses, I opened up a little bit, and things got easier. And then... I let it all out. Everything that had happened back in Chicago. And something amazing happened. They all stopped, and they gathered around me and held me while I cried my eyes out. I hadn't told my mom, my dad, I hadn't told anyone. But something about these girls, I don't know, it just felt right. That night, I went back to the hotel and slept like a baby. I woke up the next morning, and it was the first time I'd felt good since I left Chicago. On the TV, I saw that the snowstorm that was beginning as I left the city was pushing south. I made some hotel coffee and checked my phone. Apparently, I gave my number to all the girls at the dress shop yesterday, and I was in their group chat now. We were meeting at Jenny's house to get ready for the soiree in the afternoon. I smiled a little, and I actually found myself looking forward to it. I didn't expect to enjoy any part of this trip home, but this has been a nice surprise. I was also excited to go to the soiree because Luke from the bakery invited me before I knew that Paul was screwing my coworker. And since I couldn't get him to call me back, I decided that it was over. We met up at Jenny's just like we'd planned, and after a couple of bottles of champagne, we were ready to go. From there, it was a few short blocks through the old part of town until we ended up at Marquee Hall. Marquee Hall is a big community center and event space. 
The winter soiree is a marquee tradition. It's the kind of thing you make fun of as a kid, but secretly, it was something you looked forward to. A place to see your friends outside of school, where you could count on your parents getting distracted with their friends, and then you could sneak off and do your own thing. Surrounded by the decorations, the atmosphere, the music, you could imagine that it would be the kind of night that your crush finally told you how they feel, or the night you would sneak away with them. I was surprised by how many faces I didn't recognize. In my mind, Marquis hadn't changed at all since I'd left for Chicago, but there were more unfamiliar faces than familiar ones. I guess, just like me, people I'd grown up with moved away, and others moved in. The girls I came with introduced me to a few people, and soon enough, they were wrapped up in conversation. And then I saw it across the room. Four people I never thought I'd see again: Emery Dunn, Caitlin Welker. Jacob Keller and Amy Lander, the four teenagers that murdered Elisa Harris. Emery and Jacob should be in prison, and Caitlin and Amy had moved away and changed their names. What the hell was going on? I had been joking before when I said that it felt like I was in a holiday movie, but something. Was happening. My mom and dad getting back together. No record of Elisa's murder. It's like the town was somehow repairing the things that went wrong in my life. And so I guess it makes sense that if Elisa was never murdered, the four of them would still be here like nothing happened. I need a drink. I stayed close to Jenny and my new friends. I saw Luke across the room, manning the Good Luck Bakery table. He glanced over, and for a brief moment, he caught me looking at him and smiled. I fought the urge to look away, all fast and obvious, and instead I smiled back and waved. I wanted to go talk to him, but there was a line at his table, and he looked busy. Maybe later. The girls and I got a table, and they talked about people whose names I didn't recognize. I didn't have much to offer the conversation, but it just felt good to be there with them. As the night went on, I started to feel woozy. How many glasses of wine did I have? I looked up, and it was later than I thought. I hadn't eaten since lunch. My blood sugar. I needed something to eat right now. I looked around the room and saw Luke at the Good Luck Bakery table. There wasn't a line. It's exactly what I needed. I got up and made my way across the room. Hey! Oh wow! Look at you! I felt myself start to blush. How's it going? It's been great. They cleared me out. 
Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I just have low blood sugar, so I was hoping to eat a little something. Oh, okay. Okay, um, I don't know if this is weird, but I'm heading back to the bakery to unload. I'm already packed up. If you want to come along, I can get you something there. Oh, uh, I don't know. Well, no pressure, but the offer's open if you need something quick. Okay, um, let me just check on something real quick. Do you mind if I sit down? Luke started packing up his equipment and carrying it out to the bakery's catering van. Meanwhile, I texted Jenny. Hey, is Luke okay? A few moments passed and... A message from Jenny, full of excited emojis. You better tell me everything tomorrow. Well, if he wasn't safe to leave with, she would have told me. I watched him load up the last of his things in the van, and then he looked back in through the open door. If I weren't feeling so awful, I would have been turned on. I got in the van, and we drove the few blocks to Good Luck Bakery. Okay, here we are. Now, what can I get you? Whatever's easiest. I don't care. Okay, well, anything I put together is going to take a little time, so let's see. Oh, here we go. How about some chocolate chips? You want to snack on those while I put something together? I snatched the bag from him before he'd even finished. After a couple of handfuls of chocolate chips, I started to feel better. I could hear him in the back. I got a look at myself in the big mirror behind the counter. Jenny and her friends were right about this dress. And my hair and makeup had somehow weathered my little spell of faintness. I don't think I'd stopped and really looked at myself, by myself, in a long time. I was always on Paul's arm, one half of the company power couple. I liked the way I looked. It felt good to stand on my own. I went through the swinging double doors and back into the kitchen. Clean, stainless steel prep tables, the light from a back door down the hall reflecting up off the floor. Luke was in the middle of the room, a single light on behind him. I'd never had a man in a tux make me a dessert. His concentration was fully focused, an expression of pride and confidence in his work. He looked up and saw me watching him. He asked if I was feeling better, and I told him I was. He slid the plate over to me. I took a bite. It was divine. He looked pleased with himself, and I took another bite. What happened next happened fast. I caught him glancing at my lips while we talked. Somehow, our fingers grazed each other. I felt that rush of adrenaline. The one you get when you already know what's about to happen before anyone makes the first move. 
Those few seconds when you both know you're past the tipping point. Everything that's about to happen is inevitable. The next time he glanced down at my lips, I intertwined my fingers with his. I pulled his hand around my waist so that his palm was on the small of my back. When I looked up, he leaned in and let his lips graze across mine, the tension building to a boiling point. And then they finally met, and he kissed me hard and I kissed him back. Our hands were all over each other, exploring with urgency and purpose. In one smooth motion, he spun me around and then pulled me against him. My back against his chest, his lips on my neck, and his hands. Oh my God, his hands. And then... We broke apart and scrambled to look normal. And then there was a voice calling out Luke's name from the other room. It was Luke's co-owner. He went up front to see what was going on. He was just stopping in with a few things that were left behind at the soiree. Luke and I kept making eye contact and giggling when his partner wasn't looking. He asked his partner if he needed help, and then told him that we were going to get out of there. We left out the back door, where Luke's car was parked. Do you want to make a quick run out to Ghost Bridge? There's supposed to be some people going out there after the soiree. Like adults? Don't people our age have houses to party in now? I don't know. I guess it's hard to break old habits. What I said next was more of a test than anything else. I still hadn't directly asked anyone what I was about to ask Luke. So, what happened to Elisa Harris? Luke started the car, and in just a couple of minutes, we were out of town. The trees leaned in over the road, catching the headlights, making shapes out of shadows on the open fields. As we got closer, I looked for other cars or signs of people at the bridge. But as we turned the last bend in the road, and the bridge was just ahead of us in plain sight, And there was no one. No party. No one. Well, that's disappointing. They said they'd be here? Maybe everyone's already come and gone. I checked my phone. No signal out here. I felt a pang of anxiety, but tried to push it away. You know, if you wanted to get me alone... We didn't have to come all the way out here. Hey, what are you doing? He got out of the car and walked up toward the old wooden bridge. What the fuck? I followed him up onto the bridge and he stopped, putting his arms up on the railing and leaning over. Hey, what are you looking for? I don't know. I've just got a feeling. What was that name you asked me about earlier? Elisa Harris? 
Yeah. What about her? It feels so familiar. This wasn't how I'd hoped the rest of the night would go. I told him about what I remembered. Look, this is gonna sound crazy, but when we were kids, something happened, and no one seems to remember it. So I told him the story about how Elisa fell in with new friends, how they manipulated her, made her feel like she belonged, like she was one of them. And then that terrible last night, I didn't tell him what they did to her. I didn't think it was necessary, but I remembered and that she was alive for most of it. He didn't look at me while I talked. He looked out over the railroad tracks, gently bending around a turn up ahead, lined with trees, until the rails and the path they cut through the forest were gone. There was a look of recognition on his face, like there was a word on the tip of his tongue, something just out of reach. Why don't I remember any of that? I told him about my holiday movie theory, joking that someone was trying to right the wrongs of my childhood, trying to create an idealized version of my hometown. He laughed, but then kept looking out over the tracks. I was getting a bad feeling. Not from him. Just being out here where it happened. Telling the story. I guess I'd spooked myself. Why don't we change the subject? I said, spinning around and throwing my arms around his neck. He leaned in kissed me, softer than he had at the bakery, but it was nice. You want to get out of here? Why wait until we get back to town? He gave me a coy look and pulled me close. He reached down and put his hands on my thighs, lifting my dress. It felt like electricity. Not out here. It's too cold. Let's go back to the car. He leaned in, and I felt his hands on my thighs, and all of a sudden, I was up in the air. My legs were around his waist. One of my heels came off, still stuck between the wooden planks of the bridge. We'd come back for it. Back in the car, things heated up fast. Our clothes were on the floorboard. We twisted ourselves around and made do with the space we had. Car sex is never easy. I pushed him over and climbed on top of him. And just then, there was a subtle but clear change in the mood. Hey, what's wrong? I'm sorry, I just... I don't know, this... This seems like a little much. What do you mean? Well, you know, 
The girl comes home for the holidays and meets the hometown boy with the bakery. You know, there's a formula to these things. Who knows what might happen if we break it? Shouldn't I sort of be in charge? Luke, if you want to be in charge, then put your hands around my throat and fuck me until I can't see straight. After we finished, we laid curled up together in the back seat. We got dressed just enough so that we wouldn't be completely naked if someone drove up. And we held each other for a long time. The windows were steamed up, but started to clear after a while. The fog that had just started falling when we arrived was thick around the car. I don't know when I noticed it. But Luke wasn't looking at me anymore. He was looking straight up at the ceiling. A blank expression on his face. What's wrong? I don't know. Oh my god. You're married, aren't you? No. No. I think I remember. You do? I think we need to get out of here. Why? We just need to go. We got dressed, and Luke climbed into the front seat. Wait, I told him, before he started the car. My shoe, it's still on the bridge. Just leave it. This outfit is a rental. I can't fucking leave it. I stepped out. The ground cold under my bare feet. Colder than it had been earlier. That fog had really come down while we were in the car. A few lights that should have been visible in the distance were gone. It was just gray, cold night. I could see my heel in the headlights, stuck between two beams of the wooden bridge. I knelt down and pulled at it. It didn't budge. That's when I heard something. Under the bridge. I stood up and walked to the edge. I peeked down over the railing. A woman. No. A girl. Staggering down the side of the tracks. She was hard to make out because of the fog but I didn't need to see her. I knew exactly who it was. Afraid, I took a sharp inhale, and when I did, she stopped. She turned and looked up at me, and I saw her face. It was impossible, but there she was, and a wide, malicious smirk spread out across her face. I took a step backward and bumped into Luke. He'd gotten out of the car to come see what I was looking at. We both ran back to the car and as fast as he could, Luke turned it around and floored it back toward town. How is that possible? You remember... You really remember. As I spoke, we passed the intersection of Bandemir Road 
and Elisa's memorial was there, just like I remembered it. The fog cleared as we approached town. We flew past the big Welcome to Marquis sign. I asked Luke where we were going, and he told me that he knew where Elisa was heading. We pulled up in front of a house in the historic district. Where are we? This is Amy Lander's house. They're all here. Who's all here? Amy, Jacob, Caitlin, and Emery. I remember it all now. I don't know how, but I just know it. She's coming here for revenge. I looked at the house. And through the picture window, I saw people moving around. Drinks in hand. They had no idea what was coming for them. Maybe they deserve it. You remember what they did to her. And they get to just walk around like it never happened. But it wasn't them. It was a different version of them. The people in that house... They didn't do anything. Then why would she be coming for them? Because... Because we broke the rules. We broke the rules? Back in the car, you know, like I said, I had a bad feeling that we were going too far and... And that we were breaking the rules. What rules? Look, you said it yourself. It's like we're in a holiday movie. Are you serious? This isn't a movie. Just think about it. The universe, right? It's fixing everything that went wrong here. And then we went out to the bridge and we broke the rules. Even if you're right, I've seen sex in a holiday movie. Yeah, but it's all like implied and really vanilla. And then there's... There's what? You know, I'm supposed to, well, the man is supposed to be the instigator. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Hey, I didn't make the rules. I didn't know what to say. But a little voice in the back of my mind was nagging me. What if he was right? While we were arguing, neither of us had noticed a fog slowly rolling in from down the street. By the time we noticed, it was all around us. We got out of the car and started toward the porch. We only made it a couple of steps before we stopped dead in our tracks. Through that same window, where we'd seen everyone inside talking and drinking, and having a good time. Everyone was motionless, silent, and they were watching us out the big picture window. Their expressions, they were aware of what was going on, but they couldn't move. I could see the faces of Emery, Caitlin, Jacob, and Amy among the crowd. In the faces of their friends, I saw frustration and confusion, but 
the four of them, I saw fear. I can't prove it, but I think they remembered too. And they knew what was about to happen. Through the picture window, Elisa appeared behind them, nudging and squeezing her way through the frozen crowd until she was in the front of the group, looking out the window at us. She took her time. She wanted to make sure we were watching. Then she raised her hand, smiled, and snapped her fingers. Amy, Jacob, Caitlin, and Emery collapsed dead on the floor while their friends stood frozen. We've got to get out of here. We didn't even try to get back in the car. We just ran. Elisa watched us until we were out of view. Within a few seconds, we were past the edge of the fog, and the night was clear again. We kept running until we were back at Main Street, back in front of Luke's Bakery, a block or so from Marquee Hall. Main Street was quiet. The soiree was over. No people lingering on the sidewalk. No cars passing by. Do you think it's safe now? No. I think we need to get out of town. But if she just wants revenge, why would she come after us? We didn't do anything to her. Luke gave me a look that told me something wasn't right. And then I remembered. There were rumors that a fifth person had been involved. Someone the police talked to but never charged. Around me, I could feel cool, wet air. And then the fog crept in from behind me. Wisps of gray mist twirling and breaking up. And as the fog overcame us, something happened. I could see it all in my mind, like Elisa was showing me. Back in high school, Luke wasn't one of the cool kids. He was scrawny, kind of nerdy. He was sitting by himself outside, waiting for his parents to pick him up. It was like present-day me was sitting next to him, but he couldn't see me. I could hear people talking, a few benches over. I looked down, and I saw Amy, Caitlin, Emery, and Jacob. They were kids again, the way I remembered them. And I could overhear what they were saying. They were planning. They were planning what they would do to Elisa. Luke... Luke wasn't involved, but he knew what they were going to do, and he didn't stop it. I saw it again and again, day after day. He overheard the entire evolution of the plan, and he didn't tell anyone. 
I was back in the present day. The fog completely encompassing us now. And I could see it in his face. He knew that I knew. I could read everything that he wanted to say. He didn't think they were serious. Who would have believed him? And maybe he's right. He didn't even try. And I knew that's why Elisa was here. Luke was frozen, just like the people in that window. But I could still move around. I didn't look behind me, but I could feel her there. And I could tell where she was by tracking the movement of Luke's eyes. His face was trembling. I knew I wasn't in danger. And I also knew that there was nothing I could do to save him. I stepped in close and took his hand. And then I could see her in the reflection of his pupils. She raised her arm as I put my lips to his ear. There's another you out in the real world. This is just a movie. Within moments, the fog dissipated, twirling and breaking apart, evaporating all around me. I didn't want to look down at Luke. I didn't want to look behind me for Elisa. I just stood there, numb, for a long time. Until I heard something behind me. I finally looked down, and Luke was gone, like he'd never been there. I turned around, and Paul... Paul was standing beside his car. He'd driven down from Chicago to find me. Hey, he said. Hey, I replied. He started again. Please let me explain. I know how it looked. I thought I'd be angry when I saw him. I thought I'd be heartbroken. I didn't feel anything at all. You can't just drive down here and win me back. This is not a movie, and I'm not stupid. He was taken aback. I think he really thought I'd just melt back into his arms. He called back out to me. I could hear the shit-eating grin on his face without even looking. So, what are you going to do? Move back here? Start over and rediscover your small town roots? I smiled. A real, genuine smile. For the first time since I'd been home. No, Paul. I'm going back to Chicago. I'm testifying against you. And if there's any company left after this... I'm going to take your job. 
A look of disbelief spread over his face. I turned to walk away, but before I did, I had one last thing to say. Oh, and start looking for somewhere to live. I'll be home the day after Christmas. And I'm keeping the apartment. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This month's story was Home for the Holidays, written by Ian Epperson and Brooke Jeanette, narrated by Brooke Jeanette. Ian Epperson was Luke Turner. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker. Music by Kayla Britchie, with assistance from Bridget Howard. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Paul Doyle, Anton Madison, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, and Jack Chaddock. Thank you so much for your support. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. Merch, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for our logo. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find it in the show notes. Bridget Howard wants to take you out to an old bridge outside of town. Stay tuned for a trailer from Latter-day Lesbians. See you next month. Hey, I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly. From the Latter-day Lesbian Podcast. Shelly, what's our podcast about? It's about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out life. Is that you? Are you the ex-Mormon? I am ex-Mormon, born and raised Mormon, got married young, had seven kids. Yeah, I'm still dealing with that. Yeah, yep. same. Mm-hmm. Left the church, came out of the closet, got divorced, restarted life. I know, and we kind of unpack all that on the podcast, plus much more. I do, you know, jump in from time to time with something to say. <laughs> you do. Once in a while, when mm-hmm. you let me get a word in. Mm-hmm. It's been like twice. It's nice of you. You're welcome. On our show, we laugh a lot. Um, yeah. You think? Laughter is the best medicine. Well, we need medicine because we are healing from religious trauma. The struggle is real. God, lots of it. (laughs) We have lots of people write in, call in, and we answer questions. We have people on the show. We're very interactive. Lots is going on. So check out Latter Day Lesbian wherever you listen to podcasts. What she said.